This is Laura looking for love, and today I want to start by sharing something nice that happened this week. A few days ago, I was with my 15-year-old little black chihuahua, Chucho, in a grassy area in front of a shopping center. It's a long story about why we happen to be there, but the point is, we aren't usually there, and unusual circumstances had us there at that moment. And out of nowhere, an Asian woman dressed in bright colors with a pink purse and holding a pie walks up to us and says with a huge smile, What a beautiful dog. And she tells me about the dog she used to have that has since passed away. And we start to simply talk and share. And she looks up at me, stares, and says, You are so beautiful. And I respond, Thank you. You are so beautiful. And she smiles this big smile. And we continue to talk. And she stops, stares, and says again, You are so beautiful. And I start to laugh because she's so enthusiastic and happy. And I ask her her name and she says, Sunny. I remembered a Korean movie I saw at a film festival probably more than five years ago called Sunny. And as this woman was also Korean, I asked her if she'd heard of it. She hadn't, but it was a film about women and friendship. I couldn't remember all the details, but I remember really liking the movie because it made me laugh, it entertained me, and it also touched me on an emotional level. And I really wanted to remember at that moment which of the characters was named Sunny and why, so that I could share it with her. I wanted to give her something, a bit of inspiration, but I couldn't remember. So when it was time to say goodbye, we gave each other a hug and she said, I love you. And it made me smile because so often we were programmed to believe that love is a scary word. It is way too intense to say to a stranger and God forbid you say it too soon to someone you're dating. So when I hear it from people, it always makes me feel happy that they are not limited in that way. So later, it wasn't until I came home that I remembered that in the movie, Sunny wasn't actually a person. It was a name given to the group of female friends. And the soundtrack was to the English song Sunny that they sang and danced to. And that song is all about love and support. And it's no coincidence that I only was able to remember that when I got home because it shifted my awareness. I had wanted our meeting to provide Sunny with something she could use for the future. I thought there was something in that movie that she should know. But it wasn't about what I could give to Sunny. It was really about what Sunny gave to me. And it's funny how synchronistic life is when we actually open our eyes and become aware. And last week I spoke about beauty in my podcast titled Hair. And I shared how as a child, because of the images I saw and messages I was given, that my beauty or what I saw at the time as the lack thereof was associated with my race. And although I had discovered early on in my life that that association was a huge lie, it's still really fitting that this week, Sunny, a beautiful Asian woman, approaches me in a parking lot and tells me multiple times that I'm beautiful. And that is synchronicity in action. So because of Sunny, I named the first part of the podcast, When Strangers Say I Love You which is a great segue into my Spanish love story. So on to Spain. When I was 20, I spent a year studying at the University of Granada, and it was significant for so many reasons, and scary because even though I was 20, I was a very young 20. I was a very innocent 20, a very naive 20, a very scared 20, especially to venture so far from home. And it wasn't all choice that led me to my experience in Spain. It was mainly fate. So life is basically a combination of choices and fate. There are certain things that our fate will have us experience in this lifetime and many choices that we're faced with along the way. And sometimes when we make choices that are not in alignment with our higher purpose, we get knocked around a bit until we get it right, if we ever do. But sometimes we aren't even allowed the choices we want. And that's when fate steps in. 
And it was my fate, this disallowing of almost every choice I made in that transition from high school to college, that led me to where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to experience. And to give you some context, when I was growing up, I was very observant and very in tune with people's emotions and expectations. I was an old soul, but being this way also stunted me and stopped me from exploring because I was aware of fear from a very young age. So bogged down by this fear and responsibility that I had understood to have inherited, I was proper, I never broke rules, and I didn't want to venture outside of my comfort zone. So when I graduated high school, I wanted to stay in Southern California, particularly LA. And so my first choice of schools was UCLA. My second was not too far away, a few hours away from LA, UC San Diego. Well, I didn't get into UCLA, so fate led me to San Diego, where I got to explore dorm life and living away from home. But before I got to San Diego, I had to make another choice. UC San Diego at the time was divided into five sub-colleges, with fifth college being the newest, not even having a name yet. I looked at all my options and chose as my first choice Muir College because it had the easiest general ed requirements. And that's really what I was worried about. I didn't want to challenge myself too much because I was too scared of failing. But I didn't get it. I got placed in fifth college. Fate stepped in again. And again, looking back, it was the better option. The focus of fifth college was on international relations, culture, humanity, and it was because of my exposure to a two-year course called Making of the Modern World, only given in that college that contributed to the awareness of my life purpose. It was the course that allowed me to see humanity from the very beginning of time, right? The formation of the planet, the Big Bang Theory, to present time. And also to the exposure of different cultures and religions that I would have never had exposure to at that time. From Islam to Judaism to various forms of Christianity to Buddhism. And the cool thing was, not having been raised in a set religion, I was able to see each with neutrality. I actually really remember this vividly saying to myself, each time we would switch from religion to religion, that I could see myself in that religion. Uh, When we covered Islam, I would say, that makes sense. I can see myself being Muslim. When we covered Judaism, I said, that makes sense. I could see myself being Jewish. I could see myself being Buddhist. I could see myself being Christian. So I took a bit of truth from every teaching and it added to my spiritual growth and spiritual bank of information. So because Fifth College, later named Eleanor Roosevelt College, focused on culture and international relations, during our sophomore year, they pushed the study abroad program. And had they not pushed this, I would have never imagined living in another country at that time in my life. It wasn't even on my radar. I was studying Spanish and Spanish literature at the time, so I thought, if I go, I'd like to go to a Spanish-speaking country to hone my language skills. And so I thought Mexico at first, because it was the closest, and again, I was guided by my geography and my comfort zone. But my friend Val, who was the only other person I knew who had decided to study abroad for sure, said that she was excited to go to Spain. And since I didn't really know anyone else who was going to a Latin country, I decided that Spain sounded good. So again, choices. The country was a given. We were able to pick our country and be given that choice, but we needed to make another choice, which was the city, and that wouldn't be a guarantee. Val wanted to go to Madrid, and that seemed like a great option, the capital of the country. It seemed to be the most exciting, so I chose Madrid too. Well, Val got her first choice of Madrid, and again, I didn't. So I got placed in Granada. Again, fate chose for me. Ultimately, I didn't get my first choices because I was bad about getting what I wanted, No, at that time in my life, I was so disconnected from my spirit and my intuition that I just chose things out of fear. I chose UCLA because I was scared to move away from LA. 
I chose Madrid because Val chose it and I wanted to be near friend because I was too scared to be alone. Fate came to my rescue to tell me to wake up, that what I was choosing was not in alignment with those things I had set out to experience and learn. And looking back, fate provided me with the perfect fit, just like Fifth College and the Making of the Modern World course. And even though I knew this by the time I got there, there was a moment when that knowing was cemented, in fact. For me. During my year in Granada, I took a trip to Madrid, and I knew then for certain there are certain places that you are meant to pass through and places that you are meant to stay for a while, and I just was never meant to stay in Madrid. So before I get to Spain, I remember being at LAX. All of the study abroad students were there. I only know Val, but Val is distant, already preparing herself for the separation of being in Madrid, and I already start to feel isolated and vulnerable, and everything else from LAX to Spain is a big blur. I don't remember anything except for the anxiety and the fear. The next thing I remember, I'm on a bus and we've just arrived in Granada with other American students who I don't know. And a woman, thinly built, an average height, with short red hair enters the bus. Funny how she was our contact person during that year, but I only remember her face and her hair and that her name starts with an I, either Irma or Isa. She begins speaking to us in Spanish as if we're locals, but it's not the Spanish we're used to hearing in our classes. We weren't used to Castilian Spanish, and it sounded so different. And especially in Andalusia, the southern region of Spain where Granada is located, the dialect is spoken faster, and parts of the words often cut off in the middle and at the end. So I began freaking out, panicked, thinking, these past two years of college Spanish haven't prepared me at all for this. I know nothing. And as this realization starts to sink in and I feel helpless, I look around and I see everyone's face panic just the same as me. And their faces remind me of the face I must be showing. We're all basically mirrors of each other, freaked out and completely lost. And suddenly and collectively, we see the humor in our freaked out faces and start to laugh. The entire bus starts roaring in laughter and we don't care anymore that we don't understand anything. In fact, our inability to understand is the tie that binds us and what eventually broke the ice for us to all become friends. The next thing I remember, we are in a private campus area of a convent, which I can only remember now as something something Ave Maria. We are assigned dorm rooms and for a few weeks we have orientation and some classes. We are a bunch of Americans housed together in a foreign country and this is really where the fun starts. Most of us aren't 21 yet, so we aren't used to the bar and club culture. But in Spain, there is no age requirement. People start drinking table wine at 10 years old. Yet alcoholism is very rare there as its accessibility makes it lose a bit of its appeal. But we're American and we get the appeal. So we start to go out to the clubs and the bars and the bars and clubs are nothing like they are here. They don't close at 2 a.m. The good clubs in Spain close at 10 a.m. and the rest at 6 a.m. And when you leave, it's already morning. So you can already smell the sweet aroma of the churro shops. And as you start to approach the windows, you can see the huge vats of oil frying churros that are so long they twist and curl. And when you purchase them, they cut them up and serve them with the sipping chocolate. Churros con chocolate. So that was our life for a few weeks, but this arrangement is only temporary. We need to integrate into the culture of Granada. We can't continue speaking English with all of our friends. So we're each assigned a mentor. Mine was named Ricardo, a young college student, a bit of a playboy, clean cut with some attitude, and he rode a moped. Most young people in Spain had mopeds at the time, and they're called motos. They're actually really good at navigating the tiny streets and weaving in and out of traffic, but it's kind of scary to someone new to it. So one day, without warning, without planning, he comes by my dorm and says, Laura, let's go. We're going to find you an apartment. We walk to his moped, and he says, okay, get on. But I don't want to. I'm scared, I say. Ah, oh, nothing's going to happen. I'll keep you safe. Get on. So I get on, 
we didn't use helmets, and he drives like a maniac, weaving in and out of the smallest spaces on the small cobble-lined side streets. But, like with the ease of all things associated with the stress-free Spanish lifestyle, within a ridiculously short amount of time, I find my apartment. A beautiful space located right across from the Garcia Lorca Park. This sanctuary of a space to sit, write, and meditate with this beautiful fountain and colorful flowers. And in my new apartment, I meet Adela and Silvia, who would become not just my roommates, but my family during that year of my life, along with our neighbor, Monica, who would routinely hang out with us. So the first day of college begins, and I take the bus to the university. And it's a madhouse. There are even more people crammed into each classroom than I'm used to at my American college. And by the time that I find my first classroom, I realize there are no more seats, and there are people just standing in the back. As I scan the room, I see a girl frantically waving at me, motioning me to come to her. She says, this seat is for you. Her name is Susana, and she becomes one of my best friends in Spain. She's a few years younger, super innocent like me, maybe even more so, but understanding the Granada culture and knowing I'm a foreigner, she's very nurturing to me. Sometimes bordering bossy, but always with good intentions and love. When we leave class, she asks me where I live, and I say... Calle Angel Barrios. Her eyes widen and she says, I live on Calle Angel Barrios too. It turns out she lives in the apartment complex a few doors down from me. Fate. So as it turns out, I went to Spain alone and within weeks I already had established my Spanish family. Those important people who would share in experiences of play, growth, and love. In that year of my life, I never knew things could be so carefree. Siesta, which is literally the translation for nap, was not a myth there. And shops and businesses, as well as schools, closed for hours to allow people to simply eat and rest. Before I left for Spain, I had heard that siesta was from 2 to 4. But as I would find, siesta would often start early, sometimes at 1 1 p.m. and finish after 5. We Americans weren't used to it because there were days we needed to get something from the store. But we couldn't because it was during siesta time. And we would feel frustration that we couldn't get what we needed. But we learned how to take things slower. We had to. We had no choice. And I think for all of us American students who ended up in Spain, part of the reason we were there was to learn how to stop. Awareness can happen at any time and at any speed, but it is the most noticeable in stillness. I had mentioned in my Chavela, a Love Story podcast about my experience with flamenco music. This is the time where I discovered it. I loved it so much. The pain and the voice and lyrics of the songs were so relatable on a human level that I found myself collecting so much music even taking flamenco dance classes, going to flamenco shows, and getting the opportunity to meet one of the famous flamenco dancers at the time, Antonio Canales. So finally, far from home, free from the shoulds of how I should live, for the first time, I really experienced life. And I learned about life from a perspective so different from what I was used to. Susana was from a small pueblo, Vélez de Venaudaya, that at the time had about 3,000 residents. I found it fascinating because my high school had 3,000 students and they had never seen an Asian person in their life. When I visited, people would stand in their doorways, smiling and waving like I was a Macy's Day Parade. It was really something, and Susana would get mad because they would say I was Chinese, and she knew I was Japanese-American. I didn't care, though, because they were all so fun and nice, but Susana was really protective of me. And it was there in Belis de Venaudaya where I experienced farm life for the first time. I used to go fishing with my family as a child, and it was my closest experience to being in remote nature. But waking up at 5 a.m. to collect eggs, I will never forget. It was freezing cold. I knew that Susana had to kill chickens, and I couldn't bear to watch. I would never be there when any killing went on. I only helped her with the vegetables and the small stuff like collecting the eggs. And it's where I learned that before eggs are cleaned and placed in those neat cardboard containers, they can be stained with 
poop. I remember seeing the first stained egg, and I asked Usana, what is that? She said with wide-eyed shock, Laura, do you really not know what that is? No. And I'll tell you her answer and how she answered in Spanish, because I want to keep this podcast clean. But she's like, es mierda, Laura. And as I made a face holding a poop-covered egg, she couldn't stop laughing. We were from such different cultures and life experiences. And in Spain, because it was a reprieve from any rules or structure, my fear had disappeared. And I started to understand the carefree spirit of the culture. During holiday breaks, I had the opportunity to travel a bit. And with a few other American students, I once took a train to Portugal. While there, not knowing where we would stay the night, we met two girls who invited us to their homes and had their mom cook us homemade Portuguese meals. They took us on a tour of Lisbon. So time and time again, I kept getting the message that there was no need to fear, that the world was filled with kind people who would offer their friendship. But despite these lessons of assurance to fear not, that everything was fun and easy, there were a few times that I was reminded of my mortality. Just as I felt I was assimilating into Spanish culture, really knowing what I was doing, I got a reminder I was still just a visitor. In the 90s in Spain, there were these gas tanks called bombonas. We would use them to light the stove. You turn on the bombona, open the stovetop burner, and light a match. When you're done, you have to close everything down and also shut off the bombona. Well, on this day, I was sleeping because I had a late class. Sylvia and Adela had left for the day, and by this time, we also had another American roommate, and who had cooked before she had left, but had forgotten to turn off the bombona. With all the doors and windows closed, I'd been sleeping inside the apartment for hours after she left and didn't notice the smell of gas, since I was in it the whole time. So after I woke up, I decided to cook lunch, not noticing the bombona had been on the whole time. I got the match, was about to strike it, and I hear a knock on the door. It was our neighbor, Monica. The moment I opened the door, she said, I smell gas. She comes inside, rushes past me, and we realize the bombona had been leaking for hours. We look at each other, shocked, and I ask her if she smelled the gas from downstairs. And she said, no. She was in the middle of eating lunch, and she thought, I want to say hi to the girls. So she dropped what she was doing mid-meal and came up. Another day, I was with Susana, and we And it was one of the few times I was in a car in Spain. Public transportation was the norm for all of us at the time. But this day I was in the back of her brother's car. Her brother was driving, her cousin in the front, and Susana and I were in the back. I saw the moment that we were about to crash as it was happening. And I simultaneously was aware of the fact that we weren't wearing seatbelts. Because there were no seatbelts in the car. I got projected into the back of the front seat and fell to the floor between the front and back seats. It wasn't bad at all. I didn't feel a lot of pain. I just mildly hurt my shoulder, but I wasn't scared at all. And I realized that Susana was terrified, not for herself or for her brother or for her cousin, but for me. The first thing she said, almost crying, was, Laura, are you okay? Did you get hurt? And when I told her I was okay, she grabbed me and hugged me and kissed my face. I think she was trying to kiss my forehead and she missed and started kissing my eyelids. That moment, I had never felt so much love and care from a friend. It was the concern of a mother. So yes, Granada, Spain held me, cared for me, protected me, and loved me during my stay. I couldn't have asked for a better place and better people at that time in my life. And when it was time to leave, I will never forget getting on that bus to go to the airport with Silvia and Adela standing outside waving, all of us crying knowing that our temporary family was suddenly disbanding. As children, we loved fairy tales. We wanted to live in castles. I grew up in a city called Alhambra, just outside of Los Angeles. And in Spain, there exists a beautiful Arabic castle called the Alhambra. And guess where this castle is located? Not in the capital of Madrid. It's right there in Granada. It was always my destiny. And while I made it to my castle, it wasn't the castle that gave me what I needed. It was the love of the people.
So final thoughts. In our loneliest moments, when we feel isolated in a foreign place, disconnected from our comforts, there are always people waiting to love us, already loving us. The choice is in being open to it. And when strangers say, I love you, take notice. They may not be strangers at all. So next week, new podcast every Friday. Please subscribe, spread the word if you like it. And if it resonates, consider writing a review. I actually did see a couple of reviews posted and it's always nice to get feedback and comments. Thank you so much to those who have taken the time to do that. I do read them and it makes me happy. And it also encourages others to open up to the information. So for more information on the Bonsai Babes Empowerment Center and upcoming events, go to thebonsaibabes.com and I will see you next week.